0: So when it comes to mental health and it comes to working with anybody, doesn't matter what we're dealing with, whether it's neurodevelopmental disabilities, autism, ADHD, or we're talking about mental health, anxiety, depression, what happens is we want to make sure that our physiology and our neurology are working together.
1: Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Finding Peaks, your host, Chris Burns, president and founder, so grateful to be here today, so grateful to be back on the show, but even more excited about my guest today, Dr. Jennifer Holcomb. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Absolutely. Dr. Jennifer Holcomb works here in Colorado Springs a couple days a week, as well as up in Castle Rock. Um, She is a PhD, psychophysiologist, licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as EMDR certified, board certified behavior analyst as well. Did I miss anything? Okay, awesome, so grateful to have you on the show. And I know I mentioned this earlier, I had an opportunity to connect with Jen um, about a week ago, kind of planning for this show and whatnot. And um, as we were going through it, I certainly, and what you all see today, she's uh, very well qualified, educated, and insightful on the topics that we're gonna discuss. But bigger than all of that, she's an even better human. She cares deeply about the people that she works with. She believes in full healing and this opportunity that we have to walk together into recovery, into full healing, and so she has me really excited to have her on the show today. Um, I wanna bring up one of the first lines that's on your website. And you say that you're a family therapist Mm -hmm. and you believe that healing comes or recovery comes when you connect the head or the mind and the body. And talk to me a little bit about what you mean by that?
0: So when it comes to mental health and it comes to working with anybody, doesn't matter what we're dealing with, whether it's neurodevelopmental disabilities, autism, ADHD, or we're talking about mental health, anxiety, depression, what happens is we want to make sure that our physiology and our neurology are working together, right? So the neurology side, which is kind of the neurofeedback side that I do, is comprised of the brain and the spinal cord. So the brain is kind of the organizer right? Mm-hmm. But our physiology is our cardiology, our breathing, all the sensations, the sensory input, everything that we have. And that is so important because it's our first kind of the first tangible, I'd say kind of our anchor of mm-hmm. what's happening with our feelings and what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so when people experience something, for a long time, in psychology, we thought everything was experienced with our thoughts first. But now we actually know that we experience a sensation first, and then a feeling, and then we put a a, a thought to it, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's what I really work on is helping people understand how do I self-regulate? How do I self-manage what's happening to my physiology so that my neurology and my physiology can work together?
1: Mm. I love that too. And um, we had a therapist on a couple weeks ago, Madeline Frey, who defined trauma as the disconnection one From the other,
0: it is, yeah, yeah. And Ruth uh, Lanius, she does a lot of work in Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the some of the work that she's doing is speaking to that disconnection as a result of what's going on in the parietal. Mm-hmm. And there is this part of the brain, and I'm mm-hmm. gonna butcher what it's called, so I'm like, I'm gonna go there, <laughs> but it's a teeny teeny tiny little part right in that sub uh-huh. part. And for people with trauma, it's oftentimes it doesn't work. And so what's happening physiologically doesn't connect with neurology, what's going on. And so we have this network is a default mode network that kicks in mm-hmm. when we're in kind of a calm state. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of our daydreaming, our chilled zone. But when we are experiencing trauma, that actually turns into hypervigilance. It's a preparation for what's going to happen. So that's why we have to work at regulating that internal system and oftentimes incorporating some of the neurofeedback is where medication can come in for certain people, right? Mm -hmm. And working in kind of reintegrating the connection for the brain to process that the body is saying, you're safe Mm -hmm. and feeling that safety, not just knowing it Mm because we can know everything,
1: right, right, but
0: (laughs) but how do you feel it? And so for my clients, I had one in particular, a long time ago, we're working together and she's like, I'm doing all the breath work and I got heart mouth links and I'm doing everything. I feel nothing. Hmm. I don't understand what you're talking about. And we had done EMDR, we had done all kinds of stuff. And I thought, okay, we're going to try this. So let's start doing some of the neuro. So we did some parietal, we worked on some alpha training for hmm. her. And she sat in the chair and she goes, I get it. This is it. This is what it feels like this is why you kept telling me to breathe and she integrated and it, we know she called it her noodle mode <laughs> <laughs> i love that but yeah, like, like, I, and she did she completely just physically you just watched her and it was a wonderful thing she didn't collapse but she just relaxed
1: settled yes oh my goodness
0: and so that's how the two work together So if if, that's why working across all these different areas is so critical, right? Because we just don't know why someone is stuck in one particular spot. And even with the trauma, we can move stuff psychologically. We can move and reconceptualize and understand things. But we also have to not forget that our body holds a lot of stuff too.
1: Yeah. Kind of like that old saying of like, we need to attend to the roots instead of the tree branches, right? This needs to be where it started. Where it started. In that, do you believe, or is it, is it your research belief that people are born with this connection and then we lose it environmentally or we're born with disconnection?
0: Well, I see it as I think we're born with the ability to connect. Yeah. And I think the environment either provides opportunities to connect mm-hmm. and to reinforce that process. And so that goes back into all the attachment work, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you have, whether it's your mom or your dad or a grandparent or somebody that is able to provide that unconditional attunement Mm -hmm. to you, that's when you start to develop this internal self regulatory process, right? Mm -hmm. Other things, you could have the most attentive, wonderful parents, but Mm -hmm. if you have ever had a colicky baby, my oldest was Mm -hmm. colicky. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was colicky. He was very young. was hard. Yeah. It was super hard. From 4 to 9 p.m., he screamed at the top of his lungs, mm. and it didn't matter what we did. Tony Bennett kind of helped. Lee Armstrong helped a little. <laughs> but yeah, that I've was about it. Right? Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs>
0: and so what happens, though, from a neurological central nervous system is it doesn't, it, you know, those processes don't kind of form. And so you have to work on those things very deliberately to help shore up what was missed during that.
1: Mm-hmm. that makes sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Yeah,
0: because that's how babies learn to self-regulate, is they look at their parent. Mm-hmm. And they kind of go, okay, this is what this means. And then they learn to soothe, and the rocking, and all of those things.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's very, very interesting how that works. And I love what you said there, too, because you said that we're born into this world with this really innate ability mm-hmm. to connect. And we're just got the, it's almost like we're born out, and we have the, the extension cord coming off our body, and we're yep. like, just plug us in, Mom. <laughs> plug us in, Dad. Yep. Right? Yeah. It's a really, really cool opportunity because I think, or at least in my experience, mm-hmm. you know, the multitude of my uh, professional career, probably a decade of it, has been spent more on the substance use side. Right. We deal a lot with shame on that side, yeah. certainly on the mental health side as well, yeah. but substance use, we've been told you're bad, that's bad, right. and move forward. And so the disconnection there, we have folks that come in, and I was one of them who came into treatment, and I remember they said, group therapy. Yeah. I said, group therapy? Uh-uh. Uh, my name's Chris Burns, I, I hate people. <laughs> And they're like, you hate people. And I was like, yeah, I've just actually never been really treated well by those things. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm going to have my head down. I'm not checking in in group. I don't yeah. want to have anything to do with people. And then I sit here today with you and I'm like, oh my goodness, my life is built around authentic connection and the opportunity to do just the same. Yeah. So I love that you have the opportunity in your work too, to kind of combat and counterbalance that shame. Um, because it's just not the truth we're all born to connect
0: and and it's just what we're taught and how our neurology and and physiology work together to help make that a wonderful experience Mm. or not wonderful experience right Mm. so I know for the clients I've worked with the substance abuse some of them had a lot of sensory stuff going on prior to even using substances as little kids so touch and contact was uncomfortable yeah. and that is what I mean. What you do when the baby cries, you pick up the baby, right, yeah. and snuggle. But if that's uncomfortable for you, the way that your brain is processing that, mm-hmm. then you're not going to like it, and mm-hmm. it's going to become aversive, and that can create the disconnect. Yeah, but that's no one's fault. Yeah, it's just understanding how do we how do we go about communicating our needs? How do we go about understanding, and then can we make some adjustments, neurologically, physiologically? to allow us to attune and connect the way we need to, but that's individualized, mm-hmm. right? There's no right or wrong right. way. It's just what you need mm-hmm. and having a partner and people around you yeah. that get it and that understand and can support and validate.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, you make me think of that and I brought it up on the show before, but there's a book um, called What Happened to You? Mm-hmm. And in that book, I'll just briefly say, Oprah brings on the show essentially like the great parents And um, this 12 or 13-year-old had voted her mom on there. And she essentially, she's on the show. She said, why'd you vote your mom on the show? She's the greatest mom ever. She's like, tell us your greatest memory. And in the book, she says, oh, it's Cheerios. (laughs) And everybody's like, what? This is the Oprah show, you know? I bring you all the way from New Jersey to tell you about Cheerios. She says, it's simple. I was, and I'll butcher it a little bit. She's four to six years old. She hears a creak. Someone opened a door. She goes downstairs. Mom's in the kitchen eating Cheerios. It's 1 a.m. She's like, Mom, what are you doing? She said, oh, honey, you don't know, but occasionally, you know, I get a little anxious or I can't sleep. I'll come down. Maybe it's once a month and I'll just have a bowl of Cheerios and I'll go back to sleep. It's just something I do. She said, Mom, you know, Cheerios are my favorite. You have to wake me up if you're ever going to have Cheerios. Oh, cool. And so she goes and she says, sitting there with my mom, what, five to ten times mm-hmm. in my entire development? Right meaningful moments that matter, matter the most. Exactly. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's feeling seen, feeling heard, and being present with each other. And mm-hmm. that's the attachment, that's the attunement piece. Mm-hmm. Steve Porges does a lot of work with the polyvagal theory mm-hmm. and the importance of social connections and communication as acting as a buffer that keeps us from going into kind of a hyper, hypo hyper or hypo aroused state where we either are really, really anxious and distressed or we're really, really kind of depressed and sad because either way, physiologically, we're being impacted, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because your body can only sustain for so long and we get depleted of all the really good neurotransmitters and Mm -hmm. things. But that social connection and the attachment is a buffer for either one. Mm So, when you learn to embrace people, you're pulling in so much more than just a wonderful hug that just feels good. You're actually healing your body. Yeah. Right?
1: That's a really cool way to conceptualize it. Yeah. Yeah, And it's just, it's like this wholeness and fullness of life that, you know, people that struggle with mental health or substances might be available to them as well. Yeah. You know, it's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I was talking to you about uh, before the show and, it, it, I'm really, really passionate about this. I'm, I'm passionate about what the 12 Steps has been able to do in our community, certainly since 1935, clear through 2023. Um, you know, anywhere you go, you can catch him mm-hmm. hating, It's awesome. What I love about that more than anything, and I think the 12 Step program is more about this than anything. They don't, talk, but it's connection. Right. And in 1935, we just called it different things, mm-hmm. but it felt good to go to a place and be seen, valued, and heard. But as we talked about before the show, I really struggled or I thought I wasn't struggling in Alcoholics Anonymous from a mental health perspective. I'm picking up chip after chip, I'm not drinking anymore, I'm not doing any of the bad things. Um, But it wasn't until I got some mental health treatment and some trauma-informed care that I started to see that I was capable and maybe worthy of thriving in this world instead of surviving. And I had surrounded myself with people in 12-step programs for a decade who found it necessary to survive and Shout out to them. They're some of the greatest survival yeah. experts on planet Earth. Yeah. And, and again, it wasn't until 2019 that I started to see this a bit different, but how do we get the message? How do, how do you reinform the message to your clients, uh, both individually and oftentimes generationally, right. that there is this opportunity for you to experience this clearing that affords and informs a quality of life that maybe you never thought you could have.
0: Right, and I think that's a, a big piece, and that's a question that I continuously work through with everybody because they don't, you don't know what you don't know exists, right? And so when you're talking to people about how good it feels when you're integrated and you're in this place of coherence and how it affords you clarity in thinking and it affords you an opportunity to better understand what's happening with yourself so that you're not blaming yourself or attacking yourself and those negative voices don't creak in. but you kind of go, oh, that's what happened, that's my body doing this, and so this means I do this and mm-hmm. I'm good to go, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How refreshing that is it's, they kind of look at you like, what?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And you almost have to say, okay, trust me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to walk, okay. (laughs) Trust me, Yeah,
0: we're going to do this thing. And that's Mm -hmm. where I use a lot of the peripheral biofeedback. Mm -hmm. So actually teaching people to use the breath and understanding the relationship between the breath and the heart. Mm -hmm. And the heart is really at the center. The heart actually speaks more to the brain than the brain does to the heart. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. So when the heart is beating in this beautiful, nice rhythmic pattern, right? Uh-huh. The right amygdala imitates exactly what the heart's doing within milliseconds.
1: So, oh,
0: oh. so it's this beautiful, nice rhythm, and your brain says, hey, life is up."
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> when, cool.
0: When we're stressed, uh-huh. and it's just going really it's fast. Not
1: okay. We're not okay.
0: The brain instantly says something's wrong, hypervigilant kicks in. Mm-hmm. So if you can learn to discriminate, because back in the day, right, the amygdala served its function, right? It kept us alive. The saber tooth didn't eat us. Exactly. Right. Yep. It didn't evolve.
1: Yeah. It worked well. <laughs>
0: right. It did. Mm-hmm. And it still does. But we no longer have that saber tooth talking to us and you know, attacking us. Right. So sometimes the threats are not obvious. They're emotional. They're verbal. They're behavioral. They're verbal, you know, nonverbal behaviors mm-hmm. can be kind of threatening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, words, and it senses off, mm-hmm. right? And so once you're aware of like, ooh, that word safe does that thing to my heart. <laughs> can you not yep. tell me that we yep. do feel safe mm-hmm. or because that I don't feel that it actually makes me more anxious? Mm-hmm. But that comes from understanding the physiological impact and then saying, absolutely, we can make that adjustment. And now I can return my breathing back into a different space. And then we can investigate and talk about why that's happening Mm -hmm. without the intensity being there.
1: Yeah, that makes so much sense and speaks really to my recovery as well. Because for years in my recovery, I I never understood why the sound of a diesel engine just made me mad. Mm -hmm. The smell of diesel gasoline just made me mad. Construction. I would see nice. construction, and I would just.
0: Right.
1: Well, I had a disconnected relationship with my father, who drove a diesel truck, who was yeah. in construction, <laughs> and is, you know, pulling into the driveway. I would hear it. I'd be like, oh. And I never knew. I was just like, I just don't like constru. I don't like those people. Right. And it just was so far from the truth. Um, and I had the opportunity in the pandemic to do this really cool thing. There was this construction project that was going by my house, and I had just started SE therapy. Okay. Somatic yeah. work. So I just keep working it through. I go by the construction project. And they're on the outside of the project because they have to because of the COVID regulations. Yeah. And I'm thinking when I'm running, I'm like, screw these people. Right? Here we go. <laughs> I'm mad, you know, da, da da And then three months later, I'm walking by. I'm like, I'm running. You know, they're out early too. Right. Just like me, doing the hard thing. Right. I'm not so bad. And then the 90 more days of some messy work. I'm running by. I'm like, happy Tuesday. Everybody's got their arm out. They're like, Chris, great to see you. And I'm like, that's the healing. But I would have lived my whole life just thinking, hey, I'm just not a fan of that. I don't like that. You know, I don't like people. But there's this opportunity to heal the nervous system Mm -hmm. so it doesn't trigger in the same way. And I can be present where. Wherever you're at. Exactly. These are just people showing up to their job, working hard, just like I do.
0: (laughs) But it's these associations from a censoring base Mm -hmm. that started and triggered that whole piece, Mm -hmm. right? And when we feel vulnerable, anger is a lovely defense mechanism, is Mm -hmm. it not? Right. I I mean, it happens to me all the time, right? If I feel threatened and I'm not really present as to what's happening, I might get angry or defensive Mm -hmm. because I need to keep myself safe. So it serves a function. It's just being able to kind of say, well, wait a second. Mm am I really under attack? Am I really under threat? Or is this something that I maybe need to work
1: on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah my wife and I have that now. We have like these little code words and stuff because I'm like, <laughs> obviously you're triggered. Obviously I'm triggered. <laughs> right? You know, we can't be like, are you triggered right now? <laughs> you know? So we have this awareness and we, we do the therapy together, which is really, really nice yeah. um, to do that. But to your point, it's like, I will take sadness all day long mm-hmm. if when I get to experience happiness, exactly. you know? And yeah, I get a little bit of sad, but I get to be there for that. You know and i get to walk through that and sadness isn't such a bad emotion sometimes right. and it's actually appropriate
0: it is and it it actually helps us create the need for connection so it takes us all the way back even like stress everybody talks about no stress stress is bad we need to combat stress it's like well, you need a little because stress actually produces oxytocin which moves us towards connection and moves us towards people and then it creates that sense of feeling heard, validated, and attuned, mm-hmm. and it helps our whole nervous system begin to calm. But if people are a threat, then you don't go towards that and you internalize and isolate, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I was actually just thinking on my way over here, I was waiting because I just got an aura ring. Uh-huh. And oh, I have, I have, to, wear, I have to wear it for five days before <laughs> it starts dialing my stress. Yeah. And I was thinking the whole time, like, All right, I gotta get this stress down, I'm gonna die of cancer, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about than the show. So it's interesting yeah. you say that. They're, And I can speak very clearly to that in like my personal recovery and others is like a little bit of stress, actually kind of picks your head up a little bit.
0: Right, It's moved you to change. Mm -hmm. And then it's learning to re-regulate the physiological. Mm -hmm. So really that's, it's the chronic stages Mm -hmm. of whatever it is you're going through that takes a toll on your neurology and your biology. That's what makes it unhealthy, right? And it's recognizing there are so many wonderful things you can do to actually make those adjustments. And what everyone needs is different. Not everybody mm. needs neurofeedback. I really do make everyone learn to breathe because you kind of all need to learn how to do that. It
1: matters. <laughs> yeah, I started nose breathing in the last year yeah. when I run and when I sleep.
0: Yep, and, and the diaphragm pulling mm. all that. So you use all four chambers of the lungs. Mm. We're really pulling in that good oxygenation, the balance and the pH levels and mm. the blood and so that our oxygen can get released to all the muscles and our brain and everything. I walked around um, you know, hyperventilating my whole life and not realizing that's what I did. I was a big chest breather, uh, you know? Yeah. And so all my breathing was, or I would hold my breath for long... I don't know how I survived. <laughs> oh my goodness. I really don't, but when I started doing all this breath work because everything I, I do with clients, I've done for myself, right? <laughs> I love that. And so I've been through the gamut of all of it, but I was learning kind of to reshape my breathing. And I don't breathe when I type on a computer when I cook and when I read.
1: Oh my goodness, those are long bouts of sustainable action.
0: And these like short little like sad breaths and I'm like, I still wonder if I'm so tired. (laughs) So as I started working on the diaphragmatic breathing and just created more awareness, Mm -hmm. I started to kind of go, my gosh, I had energy at the end of my day. I don't feel quite so exhausted when I walk in the door and the kids are coming and they're asking me tons of questions because I haven't been depriving myself of oxygen and right. <laughs> oxygen yeah. for eight hours. Yeah. So all, even that subtle change, just improvement in energy is huge. Mm-hmm. So if people learn that good diaphragmatic, full, slow, slow and steady breath, it really makes a huge
1: shift. Mm. You, when Peaks is really looking forward to kind of Working with great doctors like you in the community because mm-hmm. I don't think that clients will get swallowed up through you in the medical model. They will be told kind of the truth and have this opportunity to move forward. But when you bring people in, whether it's mm-hmm. out of an inpatient setting or just simply an outpatient uh, mm-hmm. situation, do you start with breath? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep.
0: And it, it'll depend. Like, you know, sometimes people need to talk mm-hmm. and we need to spend a bit of time processing. Mm-hmm. But once we kind of move through that process, it always starts with the breath because in between appointments, especially with trauma work, I will not start trauma work until I'm very confident because I work with more complex trauma, right? Mm-hmm. That the person feels confident in themselves self-regulating. Mm-hmm. Can't do that without breathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: And I wonder, because I've been to, you know, four treatment programs yeah. and not a single one uh, contracted for that. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell yeah. you that
0: much. Hey, so it's really cool if you ever come to my office, I'll mm-hmm. just show you all this stuff. But you can see when, you know, a client will, because you, you're on kind of, you have a respiration belt. Okay. And then you're doing your breath work and I have a BV, BVP sensor on your finger. Okay. And what's happening is so I'm tracking your, your heart and I'm tracking your breath. And so what I'll have people do once we've the resourcing skills and all that kind of stuff is they start to kind of recognize when they're getting in phase. So, you know, I had one kiddo that came in and she was able to elicit trauma just mentally with what had happened for her. Mm-hmm. So she came in, she was just doing her diaphragmatic breath, right, so it was nice, beautiful, gorgeous rhythm. She felt, she was like, I am, I am noodle. I'm in my noodle zone. And then she went to level four and boy, you just saw that cardio. I mean, it just, I mean, just completely shot up. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna have you start engaging with your breath again, but I need you to pull in that comfort emotion that you're feeling. And boy, she pulled that in and it looked better with the comfort emotion than it did in the beginning when she was just breathing. And it took her probably 10 seconds to regulate her physiology. And then I said, okay, are you ready? She's like, okay, went to a level nine So Suds level nine trauma state, boy, you could just see everything, just tears, face, neck, everything was red. And then we held it for three minutes and then we moved ourselves right out of it, just using the breath and then the emotions she needed to pull in. So we use the mindfulness component, we use the meditative component and the breath. And boy, she was at, and within probably three and a half minutes, she was at a level one again. Mm. She felt safe. She felt good. She walked out of the office. She didn't have any issues in between appointments. So that's what I'm looking for, right? Real regulation. Real regulation. Because otherwise then the emotion kicks in and sure, I can contain it and I might be able to set it aside, Mm -hmm. but if I don't physiologically also learn, Mm -hmm. then it creeps back in and sometimes at the wrong time.
1: Yeah, right. that is wonderful. And I I imagine too, because I've been in the treatment field for 15 years and oftentimes I've been a part of family programs Mm -hmm. that are much different than that and really, draw in intensity first mm-hmm. and don't talk about breath. And so I think it's, it's oftentimes synonymous with our field and PEAKS is responsible for it. I mean, in 2019, we'd have families come in, yeah. we do this model. We realized that it really wasn't efficacious, certainly for safety, settling, or client care in general. Right. But how do, we, how do we combat that in a way is like, because a lot of traumatized individuals, I'll speak for myself, I remember going into my therapist and just being like, just crank it up. Let's crank it up. I'm gonna go to the worst, darkest spot I've ever been. And we're gonna, gonna have a out. session around this. <laughs> And then sometimes in group therapy yeah. and past programs that I've been in, whether it's grief week or a trauma intensive, we don't contract for safety. and We come in and we just tell all mm-hmm. and kind of probably re-exacerbate the
0: trauma. Yeah. You re-traumatize right? the nervous system.
1: Because I'm yeah. not okay. safe. And then I get out and I'm like, I don't know why I'm not settled. Right. 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 Yeah. And so I think getting this message out there is, is so important mm-hmm. um, for people to see that there's this other side we actually don't have to get into this real big, intense thing, right? Right, and, and what that might mean for our nervous systems in general.
0: Right, and it, pulling the families in, and that's tricky. Mm-hmm, <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure,
0: As, yeah. no, you know, the child is a problem, my mm-hmm. husband's a problem, my wife is a problem. Yep. If you could just fix them, yeah. I wouldn't have any more problems. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, <laughs> let's go back. Right. And inevitably, it comes down to the communication. Mm-hmm. So we're communicating at finances always comes up, right? Yeah. So, communicating about finances, mm-hmm. and everyone goes into defense mode. And yeah. it's like, time out. What is your body doing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where is your body at? Where's your heart rhythm at? Where did your mind go? And it's never in the present. Never. It's always waiting to, I know she's going to say, he's going to say. And now no one's listened to a word anyone has said. Mm-hmm.
1: Just waiting for my turn.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, when you know you're going to have this conversation, we first need to regulate. You got to get into that coherent state. Mm-hmm. Get into the conversation when either one is out of coherence. What I call it, coherence, mm-hmm. right? to like that. that calm state, right? The coherent state, then you need to take a break, mm-hmm. regulate, and then come back. And and for after a while, couples are like, I'm so tired of taking breaks. We just stop and kind of breathe together and kind of get back in. But that's the point, right? Because yeah, okay. I mean, you know, eventually, you don't want to have to like take a time out and mm-hmm. do your breath work and then come back in. Right. <laughs> Hold this. Hold the this thought. Hold this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, I'm regulated. What do we got?
0: I'm gonna breathe now. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. You want it to be happening as you're talking, but there's trust that starts to form mm-hmm. because now you can see that your partner actually is connecting with you, mm-hmm. and they're seeing that you're distressed right and they care enough to say let's take a minute
1: now I feel sane.
0: exactly right now I feel safe yeah right
1: yeah, yeah. that's really really wow. cool I love that do you find or, or should I say when you meet with individuals mm. and you're a family therapist you know that there's going to be this family involved how do you get what is the best way or the way that you see best to get families involved in this process to not not shame on them but we can be a part of this authentic process that really affords us healing and connection but we have to be in the middle of it it's been one of the most contentious conversations i've had in my career and i'm still trying to figure out ways to have that conversation better
0: yeah you know and i i think for the most part um fortunately the families that i have worked with. I have had pretty good success in pulling both parents in. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes if one works quite a bit or they're gone or they're deployed, mm-hmm. it gets tricky, yeah. right? But it, it, it is one of those things where it's like, we can do all these things for your husband, your wife, your child, whomever it is. However, the system that they go back to needs to be able to support it. And so at the onset, it's like, this is a whole family situation and everybody needs to understand the premise of it. Mm-hmm. I've had instances where I've had a parent mm-hmm. refuse. Right. Not doing it. Yeah. And it's like that's okay. Sure. And it, and so what I do is I work with the client to say don't internalize it. Mm-hmm. They're on their path and their journey and you have to just allow them to be where they're at. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. Yeah. But you can continue on your path and your journey. I love that. And and allow and then they have the other parent, thank God. Sure. <laughs> I've right. just had one Yeah. <laughs> I've always had one <laughs> uh, that has been able to connect and to say, I'll walk this with you. Yeah. And so then it's a matter of teaching the, the kid and the parent or the spouses to breathe together, to work together and to learn how to see each other and where the attunement and the attachment breaks down. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times it starts with the individual first because mm-hmm. I have to be able to accept you. Right. And then Never I white work individually with the other person because sometimes you come in and you don't even realize you, you have a problem because you weren't using substances.
1: Sure, That's right. Yeah, you weren't doing the bad thing. <laughs> so everything was fine. Resume good. looked good,
0: <laughs> right? You know who that is, right? Yeah. Oh, wait a
1: second. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. That was my story of 2016. That's yeah. the myth of normal. Yes, right? it is. It's the myth of normal.
0: It is, and health. Mm-hmm. What is healthy? Right. Yep.
1: Yeah. 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 And having those conversations, and. and what does good health look like for mental health? What does nutrients look like? What does great connection look like physiologically?
0: Yeah, because the nutrient part is huge. Mm-hmm. If I do not eat well, mm-hmm. I will not feel well. I know. If I do not feel well, I am not going to think. I'm not going to be present and I'm just going to be icky. Mm-hmm. And everyone can pretty much relate to that.
1: hundred percent.
0: And you got yeah. a cold or the flu for now. you're just not there, mm-hmm. right? but food plays such a huge role in nutrients and vitamins and supplements and exercise all of that is mental health mm-hmm. and wellness and we all should check in with our mental health. Yeah. You know, it's not just if you're having a problem but let's let's get it early. Yeah. If I could teach little ones this whole process oh. in schools. Oh. It's
1: like learning languages. They're like, "Oh, now I speak Spanish." Yep. <laughs> you yeah. Know? It's really cool. <laughs> yep. Yeah. In my kids they've been doing the Duolingo for the Portuguese. Yeah. Oh because they're in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, so they yeah. want to be able to you know, talk to professor and things like that. Oh,
0: that's cool. Yeah. 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 It is, it's a whole other language.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. It really is, and when families make a decision, mm-hmm. and I've watched this with individuals and family systems both and when they're not willing and when they're willing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've gone into group and say, hey, I saw your family was on the uh, family program running through their curriculum. and the, I should tell families, the way that your loved one settles when they hear that information, yeah and oftentimes, maybe 50% of the time, they, they are moved to tears, because mm-hmm. they're like, they're getting on and doing this work. I thought it was me, oh my gosh. And then they go to thrive. Yep. I mean, they just feel an ounce of support and skin in the game. Right. And uh, there was a TED talk done by one of my favorite humans, Lisa Smith, and I was talking to you about before yep. the show where she dubbed the phrase parallel recovery, where the individual's gonna do their work and the family gets to do their work. And I'm sure you've seen just amazing results yeah.
0: Um, oh, gosh. I mean, when you know, you've got someone there, mm-hmm. then you're not the problem anymore. Yeah. Because so much of that, like the guilt and the shame mm-hmm. is it's my fault. Mm-hmm. If I could just whatever it is, right, right stop drinking, stop using, whatever it is, mm-hmm. then everybody would be fine. Mm-hmm. But realizing actually everybody's working together to get healthy so that we can all mm-hmm. move to a different level. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't just you. Mm-hmm. You just needed more help.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I love that. It's like we we heal together. Yeah. You know, it's the one thing in recovery over 15 years, and I don't know a lot, um, but I think I know one thing, and that is we have to do this together. Yeah. And to, whatever together looks like, you know, I used to say, well, you know, Gabor Monte says connect family, community, and culture is the essence. Of, I was like, what if you don't have family? He's like, well, community, community, and culture. Right. And there is an opportunity there to be safe, to settle, um, and have this opportunity in our recovery today and in our lives from a mental health perspective. Right to just really, really challenge the status quo of survival and really anchor into this where we sit today. Um,
0: And that's interesting too that you bring up because not everybody's family, especially if our family is stuck in a cycle of trauma and substance abuse and all kinds of stuff and they're not in a place where they want to get out or feel the need that they need to change, sometimes you can't. You can't have that type of relationship because it's just not available,
1: Yeah.
0: right? But you can have a different type of family with Mm -hmm. people who do share and can connect and that attunement doesn't have to just be with our family of origin, Mm -hmm. right? It can be with all those people that are supportive and caring Mm -hmm. and hopefully family sees those changes Mm -hmm. and maybe that motivates and propels them to change, right?
1: Yeah, and it almost becomes like a, dare I say, an addicting thing (laughs) because it's like, oh my gosh, I just want to be in community. I want to be in deep conversation. I want to be present with you. I want to go have a coffee and just talk about life. And just be there. And before it was like this, no, no, I can't be anywhere. You know, it just, it really is. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today. It's just been amazing having your insight and uh, just the way that you conceptualize recovery, mental health, the neurofeedback stuff. I can't wait to get it going with the team. I want to have you down at the facility. I talked to our CEO um, as well as the other owners in our meeting last Friday. Looking forward to bringing you down there and hooking people up, including myself. Yes because that's one thing that I have not engaged in my recovery and I've kind of been balking at it. Breath work, ah, just breath work.
0: Oh, you're gonna... Um, I've
1: yeah. done breath work sessions. Yeah. I've done a couple Wim Hofs, things of that, yeah. and it's really enjoyed it. And I'm like, I gotta make that a part of my life. And I just have it. So I might come down to your office first individually. Yeah. We'll play around with all the Absolutely. stuff. It'd be yeah, really, really, be really cool. It'll be a lot of
0: fun to hook you up to all the different things you can see how it all integrates and works together. Awesome. Yeah, thank yeah, you absolutely. so much for having absolutely. me.
1: Absolutely. It's been phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you so much Dr. Holcomb and thank you all. We'll see you next time. Peace.
0: Thank you.